If the white man wants to live in peace with the Indian, he can live in peace, treat all men alike, give them all the same law, give them all an even chance to live and grow. All men were made by the same great spirit chief. They are all brothers. The earth is the mother of all people, and all people should have equal rights upon it. Let me be a free man, free to travel, free to shop, free to work, free to trade, where I choose my own teachers, free to follow the religion of my fathers, free to think and talk and act for myself, and I will obey every law or submit to the penalty. Chief Joseph Nez Pierce. Welcome back to the Wellhouse Exorcism. This is your ghost of a host with the most. Shanananana. I'm ready to get buried with information. Wow. That just happened. And does he have a name? It's PJ. Darn, I was hoping something else. All right. Well, <laughs> I like your joke there because we're this week we're talking about what, honey bun? The Native American burial grounds. Look at you using proper terminology. Oh, I refuse to call them Indians because they're not from India. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yes, we're going to just discuss the Indian burial grounds and their tropes. Yeah, we'll be saying Indian burial grounds because that's like what the term for the trope the term yes. is for it. But I hate it. I cringe every time. Yeah. Um. So... And it's interestingly enough, like, you know, my, my, there I am. I've been listening to my old podcast and I say interestingly enough a lot. So we say fun fact and we say interesting a lot on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I need, I'm going to get a whiteboard. I'm not kidding. I'm, and I'm an English teacher. And I'm an English teacher. <laughs> I think it's because I try to get kids interested. So I'm like, guys, this is really interesting. And I'm lying. It's boring. But anyway. Are you excited? Are you excited? Yay, come on, guys. We're going to learn about grammar. Anywho. Um, so my family actually is Native American. You know, my mother, um, you can tell she has the beautiful Cherokee, uh, black, brown eyes, as do Jamie and Jack. I don't. I look like... Zero percent Native yeah. American. <laughs> I don't know how to describe me. Blonde hair, blue eyes, and super Extremely pale. Extremely European. <laughs> oh my gosh. I could live in Scandinavia. Uh, so I could be a... Move over scars, guards. Here I come. <laughs> Um, so anyway, uh, it's just, it's, it's personal for me, I guess, to talk about this, but I chose this topic because my, um, Facebook popped up with, um, little information from, you know, a couple years ago, they were celebrating the anniversary of something. And so it's kind of been on the back burner for me to talk about this. Again, I have like weeks and weeks of, uh, stuff, but what I read that I found amazing, usually Pennsylvania is pretty good about, um, you know, like recognizing people and whatnot mm -hmm. we don't have any native american holidays here in pennsylvania not one nope huh. yeah so we'll talk about that in a second because other states do like so oh yeah um wyoming the second friday of every may is their official state holiday for Native Americans. Mm -hmm. And so, like, they observe it as an official state holiday. Like, I mean, they include schools, like local state government, public schools. They all appropriately observe that day. Hmm. So second Friday in May, which is why I was thinking about it, because in my mind, you know, like, as I know that. Um, but for Pennsylvania, we don't have anything here in Pennsylvania. 
which it just makes me sad. We semi-recognize Indigenous Peoples Day, but we don't officially do it. Like, you don't get days off for that. Yeah. Um, and we, technically speaking, we do not have a federally recognized Native American tribe or any tribal reservations in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Did that... you, you're right? Yeah. It's crazy to think about that since, you know, all of our areas are named after Native Americans. We have Susquehanna, mm-hmm. we have Catasauqua, I mean, all the tribes, all the different like titles we have. Most of our sport, our sports are going to are, you know, Native Americans. Yeah. Look at um and like Pennsylvania, like all of our school district. Yeah, all of our school districts are Schmokin. Where Native I Amer- work, uh, we we have Native American. It's crazy. But yeah, so it, it just, I find that fascinating. Um, so it's been kind of stuck in my head because, you know, last Friday, if you all know, our our podcast published later than we when we record them. But not too long ago, Wyoming celebrated their own state holiday for Native Americans, and we don't have a single one in Pennsylvania. Wow. Mind-blowing. Yeah. So that's why I want to discuss Native Americans, Indian burial grounds, and what has happened to our burial grounds here in Pennsylvania, and are they haunted? Of course, because the well has exorcism. Yep. Are you ready for a deep dive? I'm holding my breath there. Okay, well, um, take a deep breath, because we're going to go six feet under. No, I'm kidding. Oh, boy. Let's see how long you can hold it. <laughs> Dude. No, okay, I'm kidding. Let it go. Let it go. If you pass out on my podcast... We're in the well house. Like, literally, we're in the basement. I don't know. Oh, my. Please let the air out. I'm getting nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I could have gone longer. You just made me laugh. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> All right. So, the Indian burial ground is now a trope, right? And when we were talking mm, about, like, movies. Oh, yeah. Do you know when it came about? Uh, earliest I can think is poltergeist. I, I'm sure it's earlier than that, though. So, you're not totally wrong. Like, the trope really gained popularity in the 1980s. So because like of poltergeist. Well, it actually because of Amityville horror. Oh, yeah. There yeah. you go. Yeah. So it used to be used, um, you know, in, in terms of like scary things, and they would use it early in movies and novels and whatnot um, for to kind of explain supernatural events that were happening, like you know, haunting. So a lot of American popular culture had that Indian burial trope to be scary. Yeah. But by the 1980s, it really just became almost satirical. Right. Yeah. So it's really sad. Now, when it comes now, I'm taking this from Wikipedia, you know, but I actually looked at it. And I was like, wow, for once, Wikipedia is not bad. So because <laughs> that's an English teacher, you know me. So I'm going to quote them here. It says many variations of the Indian burial ground trope exist, but generally the Indian burial ground trope follows two archetypes. The first archetype occurs when a building is erected on an ancient Indian burial ground and the haunting building, haunted building is soon filled with evil spirits that terrorize its inhabitants. So the Amityville horror is one example of that. Yeah. And that's 1979. So by 1980, of course, it gains popularity. And then the movie, which yeah. really, because yeah. like the book was first and yeah. yeah. And there's lots of examples of that. And so nowadays when we think about, you know, the Native American burial ground trope, we're worried that we're going to have like, you know, Native Americans hurting us or some kind of zombie attack. So the second um, archetype occurs when a person disturbs a burial ground and a curse is placed upon them for it. And it's amazing how many times curses are mentioned in terms of Native Americans, which is mm-hmm. like an eye roll, as I just saw you do, because they, most Native Americans don't do that. They're peace loving. Yeah. <laughs> now. That's not including Skinwalker Ranch because obviously that was a curse. By now, the yeah, I, in in my 
five minutes of internet research, I did hear, I, I, I have something about that. Okay. Do you want to add now or later? Uh, we can do it later. Okay. Um, so the curse usually follows that person around until they placate the spirits, of course. Now, there are different movies that have used, you know, the Native American burial ground. But The Shining also has it briefly used. We know Pet Cemetery, obviously. Mm-hmm. But The Shining briefly mentions it. Huh. There you go. There you go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So, oh, and Petticoat Junction. Right. Because for that... I'm unfamiliar with... Oh, you youngins. <laughs> Literally the same age. <laughs> I get on three weeks older. Um, so there's another type of trope where if you go to the Indian burial ground, you actually find gold or buried treasure. Mm-hmm. So all of these ideas, you know, so you have the hauntedness or you have this like creepy curse or the, the money kind of issue, the, mm-hmm. the buried treasure, they all come from literally unburying the burial grounds you know mm-hmm. uh so in, desecrating yeah in my, in my later um examples that i have you're gonna see people who have gone through there because you're gonna find turquoise if you're in certain parts of america you're gonna find gold in different parts of america you're gonna find effigies and you know priceless artifacts that you can sell to people who like that and make lots of mm-hmm. money so they have obviously desecrated these burial areas on purpose to um make money from it yeah. so that lesser known trope makes sense to me um so the the haunted part though i find just kind of sad because any native american like would tell you really that that's not true because to most native americans this area like this the world we are a part of is just one of many worlds Mm. you know and so they don't like thinking of their spirits, their their people as staying here on earth because they're going on to something better. And if they're with you, they're with you because they're trying to help you with something. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like cemeteries. You know, you may have a ghost there. We discussed the, the Katie's church thing, you know. You may have um, something happen. We think that it's haunted because that's where dead bodies are. Yeah. But generally speaking, like for Katie's church, for example, you know, churches really well, the church can be, but the, the ground around it really isn't haunted because it's hallowed ground. Yeah. If a ghost is there, it's because they're the happiest there, as we kind of discussed, you know? Mm-hmm. So can a place be haunted like Katie's church? Yeah, sure. I wouldn't say it couldn't be, you know? We'll have a friend on who discusses that later. Can't but wait. Yeah, can't wait. Yeah, so a little shout out to our summertime lineup. We're going to just kind of revisit Katie's church with an actual descendant. Um, But for Native Americans, they don't believe that. Now, again, we're talking there's different cultures of Native Americans. There's different indigenous peoples out there. So many people have different beliefs, obviously. You know, Christians are Christians, but there's Catholics and there's Protestants. We all have different beliefs. But when it comes to, like, the idea of a burial ground, they believe that they are buried and their soul goes somewhere else. They want the spirit to move on, right? Mm -hmm. And so to kind of look at what Wikipedia says here, it says, a unified notion of an Indian burial ground or philosophy on death does not exist. And while many tribes condemn the excavation and disruption of burial grounds, the vast majority do not believe in the return of evil spirits. These beliefs have largely been imposed upon by indigenous representations by European settlers. Um, usually because of their ignorance or their racism. uh, uh, Yeah, I never knew that. Seriously, yeah, sadly. But they don't believe that. Now, obviously, if I'm looking at our cemetery, I would not want you to go dig up my grandma, you know? (laughs) I would find that very offensive. But I know that my grandma's not going to come back and haunt you. She's hopefully in heaven. Um, And so the idea of it being a haunted area or there being a curse put upon you was kind of 
put there by, you know, European settlers who didn't really understand them or didn't want to understand the Native Americans, mm-hmm. you know, and that fear. Now, the Navajo, you know, we we know there, there can be curses, hence Skinwalker Ranch, right? Um, but the Navajo actually believe that the body must be buried properly. So if you were to disrupt that, it would really go against their religion. Like, that's mm-hmm. a big no-no in their religion. And so I actually appreciated Wikipedia <laughs> It feels weird saying that because they said the Navajo, the Navajo believe a body must be properly buried so that the spirit can move on. If it is buried improperly, the spirit may remain in the physical world. However, contrary to the Indian burial ground trope, the Navajo do not believe the spirit returns to wreak havoc on the living. Rather, they want the spirit to move on so it can find peace in the afterlife. So, again, because of stereotypes, because of, you know, discriminatory ideas, because of racism, these tropes were allowed to flourish, unfortunately. And it paints Americans in a terrible light. Oh, we're going to cause a curse to fall upon you. We're going to haunt you. No. (laughs) None of that. No. Um, and so I feel like we need to stop saying like Indian burial ground and just start saying like Native American cemeteries. Yeah. As I feel yeah. like if you change the word, it makes it more prescient for you. There's a power in words. And again, like when you call someone subhuman, they become subhuman. We had kind of yeah. discussed the power of words in Penhurst. Yeah, it really does affect the emotions towards the topic, mm-hmm. you know, like to call a burial ground is it doesn't feel the same. I feel like I'm going to get haunted. As calling it a cemetery, yeah. So, now, the third trope, then, that was lesser seen as the idea of it being, like, buried treasure, which is, that comes from truth, you know, there's going to be money there, most likely. When it comes to um, archaeology, I don't, I'm not against excavating things if it's done correctly. Respectfully. Because, you, know? you know, I was talking to Jen about this today. We were talking about this with Jen and Kyle, who are in charge, who are, do the Limited Unlimited podcast, and... We said, you know, in terms of like, you know, Egypt, did the Egyptians ever want to have their pyramids excavated? Probably not. (laughs) They probably weren't expecting to have that happen. Um, But do we learn a lot of information? Yes. Mm -hmm. Are we doing it politely? Back in the day? No, they weren't. Nowadays. Nowadays, (laughs) Yes. So I feel like, you know, if we if you look at this anthropologically and we look at this archaeologically, could it be done correctly? If you talk to the people, sure. Mm -hmm. Have they died out? You know, that's another discussion that Jen and I had was, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't live in Egypt, but I'm going to assume that the people who were in charge of the pyramids, that tribe of people no longer exists. <laughs> yeah, like no one prays to Osiris anymore, Yeah, you know. So, like, it's different. You know, you're going into the pyramids and you are learning about history. Like when you go to Pompeii, you want to learn about that entire town that died mm-hmm. and, like, what happened to them in their final moments. Yeah, or, you know, the Incas or the Mayans with their sacrifices yes. and everything. yeah. But it's different here in America when you're digging up someone's cemetery and they're just down the road. <laughs> you know, like you're, you're not it, – it's not proper if they still exist, you know? Yeah. Or if you say, well, this isn't – Yeah, when you can just ask them, you don't really need yeah. <laughs> to, to dig them up to figure it out, to piece it together. <laughs> no, no, we use that piece pipe until about circa 1950. And yeah, you can have a conversation. <laughs> Um, it just, it, it drives me nuts. And so when I was doing more of this research, the more I learned about just current events too, because, you know, there have been all these pipeline conversations, even oh before, gosh, yeah. even before pipelines, there was putting buildings on Native mm-hmm. American burial grounds. And it's just like, I wouldn't want you to put a Walmart where my grandma's buried. You know, there's a cemetery there. Yeah. 
And so again, we need to stop calling it a burial ground and call it a cemetery and recognize that it's not okay. I don't mean to get preachy, but like a lot of these tropes are coming from that because we're going to go on to a story about, you know, scary stuff eventually. Mm -hmm. So um, we do know that there have been lots of development on indigenous lands. Okay. Do you know which? um, (laughs) Like literally anywhere in America. (laughs) All of America. Yeah. Um, Do you know what company is the absolute worst? For developing or polluting? Developing on oh. Native American land. Because I know Coca-Cola is the worst at polluting. Uh, I didn't know that until yeah. now, but thank you. Um, developing. I couldn't, I, I wouldn't even begin to, like, guess. Walmart. Of course. <laughs> it's always freaking Walmart. Yes, they continually get in trouble um, and they're criticized for what they do to Native American lands. So this is just in our lifetime. I want to read this. The Walmart Corporation has been consistently criticized for the destruction of indigenous cultural sites. In 1998, the Walmart Corporation discovered that they were constructing a new super center on a mass grave of the 154 indigenous people. No care was taken towards the preservation of the site or the bodies, and the bodies were removed as construction continued. I'm surprised they were removed. Well, I guess they had to have been to dig out the foundation. Oh, just wait. Oh, no. In 2015. Okay, remember, sorry, 1998. Yeah. 2015, <laughs> 64 indigenous bodies were found during Walmart construction in Hawaii, and the remains waited in a trailer for over three years before they were eventually buried. How? You would think, like, even on a selfish level, they'd be like, we need those trailers back. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I mean, what the heck? It's almost deliberate at that point. Yeah. But so, again, like, that should really bother you. So, you know what? I hope you're haunted now. I hope you're <laughs> cursed because that's just messed up. Um, a curse upon you, a pers- curse upon your cow. Yeah. <laughs> Where is Musha? We need him. So it's just like. I hate to laugh because, like, you have to, you know, we laugh when we're upset. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, this takes me back to Penhurst. And, like, Penhurst was, like, long before this. This is 2015. This is eight years ago. Uh, You know, I was talking about this with Jen again because, you know, why would they let them sit in a trailer? Because it's cheaper to put those bodies over there and forget about them than it is to bury them. Isn't that sad? Yeah. When you have this corporation that makes a crap ton of money, billions. Yeah. Yeah. And so, again, calling it a burial ground makes it easier for us to cope with it and go, oh, oh, really? That happened? Oh, shucks. Well, they weren't American. Oh, wait, they were. Uh, But here's current events. Okay, so I know kind of mentioned that whole pipeline thing. So I'm just reading this again. Um, This is current events. In February 2020, President Donald Trump was criticized for blasting the Oregon pipe cactus National Monument in southwestern Arizona near the border of the United States and Mexico yep, to clear the way for his border wall. The site contains burial grounds and cultural sites belonging to the Tohono O'odham tribe and has been recognized by UNESCO as an ecological preserve. The Trump administration circumvented NAGPRA protections through federal waivers and did not consult with the Tohono tribe prior to beginning development. In response to their actions, Ned Norris Jr., representative for the Tohono, asked, how would you feel if someone brought a bulldozer to your family graveyard and started uprooting the graves there? That is the relationship, the significance that is the, uh, that is the impact that we are seeing happen here in that way. He and other members of the tribe have called for buffer zones that would prevent further development on cultural and burial sites. 
And so again, like, I think that needs to be the context of our conversation then as we head into the next part is it's not okay to to dig up people's dead relatives. Yeah. Like, especially if you're, I mean, I understand pipelines. I understand the need for oil. Like, I'm not saying that. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I don't want a pipeline to go over my granny. Yeah. Can we move granny on new <laughs> hallowed ground? Like, okay, can we have that? Can we have that conversation? Yeah, right. You know, because I mean, again, th- this... I'm living. You can talk to me. <laughs> this makes the race <laughs> to cold fusion that much more important. Though. Right? Yeah. Do you want to have a conversation about that? Go ahead. Just that we found that it could be scientifically possible, which everyone thought was completely impossible, you know, two years ago. Yeah. So uh, now that we know that cold fusion is a possibility, we need to really start focusing on that. Focus a little bit. Focus, focus. So what I find interesting about um, the reason why these tropes exist then in like, you know, modern culture, modern, you know, movies um, there are five different um, reasons why, given by a Native American scholar named Terry Jean. Um, now, what I f- I liked about her conversation was the last one. She has multiple theories. Okay. But the last one, she says, the fifth and final theory argues that the Indian burial ground trope grew out of the excessive guilt of white settlers for the destruction of indigenous peoples and cultures. In this theory, the Indian burial ground trope is a manifestation of the fear that indigenous groups will seek retribution for the atrocities committed over the past several centuries. Mm. And so, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Instead of having a conversation and saying, sorry, we're going to say, oh my gosh, well, they're going to hurt us because we hurt them. Yeah. And I just, I, it's it's true that a lot of a lot of the things that happen are out of fear, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's the same like Santa Claus and little kids, you know. You gotta be good, or else you won't get presents. Yeah. And it's that's kind of what this is like. Don't dig up the bodies, or else you're gonna get cursed. <laughs> Feranda Santa too. Shout out to Bluey. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um. So now before I go on to my part two here of my folders. I did want to quickly discuss the rise and fall of Native Americans in Lyco County, especially because of what we're going to be talking about, um, because Pennsylvania has zero days for Native Americans and also has zero Native American reservations uh, or like, you know, land here, which is, again, I find fascinating with the fact that we, all of our words are Native American. But this is actually a story that comes from North Central PA. And it's called The Rise and Fall of Native Americans in Lycoming County. And it was by Ann Rayner, actually just in 2020. Huh. So I I just love it. Pennsylvania still has the distinction of being the only state that purchased all of its land from the Native Americans, which is true. She quotes from Baird. Penn's goodwill toward the region's original inhabitants was not shared by all. And as the years went on, many took advantage of the natives. Mm-hmm. So we started off having a wonderful relationship and then... It dissipated pretty quickly, which yeah. we discussed with Kyle during a previous episode. Yeah. Even our hometown, the the guy who got the town, like had a great relationship with them. Yeah. To the point that when the Wyoming Valley Massacre happened, they came to warn him about it and got him out of the town so he and his family were safe. Yeah. It's beautiful and yeah. sad. Yeah. But moving on to copy to quote more of this, uh, their concept of land was un- I can read. We're gonna keep that part in because it's kind of funny. You're going. Blah, 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 blah. Their concept of land ownership differed from that of Nat- of Europeans, thinking they were only granting the use of the land. Many Native Americans actually gave away more rights than they realized, which we already knew. Mm-hmm. Whoever they decided to draw a line in the sand, that didn't work. The settlers just poured in. So has the empire end? 
While Pennsylvania's treatment of the Native Americans had its shining moments, it soon took the path of the rest of European colonization across the continent, starting with the arrival of Christopher Columbus. And so, you know, we still have that comment today, you know, they don't want to celebrate Christopher Columbus because it has its own set of controversy, you know. It's, it's kind of hard to celebrate a guy who begins the destruction of all their ancestors. Yeah. Uh, so most Native American groups don't celebrate conquering the New World. So we actually recognize Christopher Columbus Day here in Pennsylvania. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. I mean, it's a day we use, we don't often get to celebrate as teachers because we lose it from snow days. Yeah. <laughs> but exactly. it, it's built into our calendars as a day off. Yep. It's snow days for us. Yeah. So what popped across my Facebook? It was from Valley Girl News. I just love the title oh of this gosh. blog. It's Valley Girls, but because Susquehanna Valley. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was just um, um, a rehash of an old newspaper article from 1936 actually of when they actually excavated the oldest indian mound they could find ever um so i just wanted to read it and so i started reading i was like wow this is a really good you know story to read so um this one i love it because it's contrasted to another one that i have so this is the happy one and then we have a not so happy one Okay. okay. One done right versus one not done right. Okay. Okay. So right. how can we treat burial grounds? If we're going to use that term. <laughs> I like how this is a question that has to be asked. <laughs> it does because oh I have two gosh. different folders. How would you treat a cemetery, PJ? Oh, I don't know. Respectfully. <laughs> Whoa. All right. Calm down now. So again, Valley Girl News. You can find us in their blogs. But that's what I'm trying to read. What are you going to read? In 1936, again, this is just a blog spot, so they have taken the old newspaper article and they have put it on here, and they've retyped it to make it easier to read. I like read. when they do that, yeah. Um, they, you know, they have the title of this box up here because they Ooh. didn't want to retype it. It says, old, this came for newspaper, <laughs> Oldest Indian Mound, Susquehanna River Valley at Muncie, reveals 1,000-year-old burial area of ancient red men. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah see, I wouldn't want to retype that, yeah. Yeah, 1930s. But... Okay, we're talking about Muncie. We're nice and local. Yep. In 1936, the Pennsylvania Historical Commission announced that an archaeological expedition on the H.G. Brock Farm, Muncie Farms, uncovered the most ancient Indian mound which had been found in Pennsylvania. Dudley Martin. I'm not kidding. Dudley Martin. Told Henry Shoemaker for a 1936 article that, quote, the great Indian mound at Hall Station below Williamsport is not a, quote, virgin, but was browsed and combed over by collectors 50 years ago, about 1886, and the best specimens were taken. The first time the mound was actually opened was during the time of the Philadelphia Centennial in 1876, when one of the zealous disciples of Gaul and Spurgine, desirous of exhibiting the skull of a full-fledged Indian chief, opened the mount, picked over the skulls until he found one with the proper cranial development to indicate leadership. That skull, on a shelf beside the skull of an anthropoid ape, was next to Jake Zukauer's mounted wolf group, a sensation at the exhibition. So that's the opening to the actual the actual digging, if you will. So mm. it's no longer a virgin mound because back in the 1880s and of course the Centennial 1876, people dug in here to pull out the head of a chief to put on display beside you know an anthropoid ape skull. Yes. So again, it's easy if they're not human, right? Yeah. It's just um, it feels so much like World War II discussions in a way. <sighs> yeah. 
<clears throat> so anyway, um, now it does say here, uh, while digging near Muncie, the workers came across a rare find, a Thunderbird altar, which I think is so cool. That is really cool. Yeah. Well, the whole Thunderbird, Thunderbird mythology is just really neat. I probably should mention really fast. Uh, Northeast U.S. Indians believe that the uh, Thunderbird carried a lake on its back, which is pretty awesome. And it spilled its water in the form of rain, which is how we get rain showers. And a flash of its eyes produced the lightning and that the slapping of its wings made the thunder. Yeah. So very much Greek, you know, the, the Greek mythology where you have these belief systems and, you know, Zeus makes thunder and whatnot, mm-hmm. right? Lightning. Um, so anyway, the uh, mound in Muncie, uh, in th- the 1936 report, it could be a thousand years old, but it could be as much as 2000 years old, which is amazing. Wow. It was used by an ancient Algonquin tribe. It possessed um, an advanced culture and um, for the bearing place it was very advanced. There is also evidence that at uh, one time it had been used as a pantheon of worship for their Indian gods. Hmm. So this burial ground was not just, it was like it was a church. If you will. Yeah, it was very yeah. significant. 24 skeletons um, that were there, they're buried in a ceremonial mound. Um, They were carefully uncovered and studied. The skeletons were discovered beneath the roots of a large tree in the center of the mound. They've been buried in a flexed position, and with them were recovered objects of unquestionably ancient origin. So again, being carefully excavated, treated with the utmost care, learning about their culture. So proper archaeology. Yeah, like discovering all of that you know, information and everything. Yeah. Where I'm sure the next one would be like, yeah, we just dug it up with a bulldozer. And... Sure, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, and so it goes on to talk about all the different things they found. Uh, they found effigies. They found beautifully chipped uh, stone blades and, you know, pottery. They found, I mean, amazing stuff. Um, so it, it does say, too, in the central part of the mound, two ceremonial altars were built of fire and burned stone were there. They were uncovered. Uh, again, it was indicated it was probably used as a place of worship. Mm-hmm. So again, and it says similar altars have been have recently been discovered in Athens, Pennsylvania, and Lavana, New York. If I could read tonight, so they can have that then connection to these other Native American tribes. So a beautiful way to kind of uncover the past, because mm-hmm. I mean I'm not sure if we have any more Algonquin tribes out there. I don't think we have any of them anymore. Like still practicing yeah. i don't know um mm. uh, i know they're i only know my family history so yeah but again I'm not sure. yeah i'm not sure but again that was an ancient one it was done properly with the most care you know just beautiful yep okay so as i, I feel go, like i need to hold on to something for this one um yeah it's oh, a boy. so I, i'm taking this for an article that's from north central pa again and it's called eight local spots you didn't know were haunted by morgan snook in 2020 so at the same time period written as that right uh, another Mm -hmm. article the isaac packer farm on farrensville road in Lockhaven. so a hop skip and jump away from the muncie farms yeah yeah not too far i'm just gonna read this oh boy the 1885 isaac a packer farm house is on the historic american building survey for its unique stone construction and victorian gothic style according to notes from the library of congress Oh, is this the one you were hinting at earlier? But oh. it has a dark past, according to Bernard. Bernard d- described an old Clinton County newspaper article called What to Do with the Indians. Quote, The guy who owned the house, Isaac Packer, he was a farmer. While plowing, he discovered his cornfield was on an Indian burial ground. 
He ground them up and used them to fertilize his crops, Bernard said. Frankly, even back then, a lot of people considered it shocking, but there was a lot of prejudice against Native Americans, Bernard said. So, yes, the Isaac Packer farm is noted to be haunted because he ground up an entire a Native American cemetery. How despicable is that? That's yes. Just... Despicable. But think back to um, the Civil War discussion we had with Gettysburg. Remember, he said that that part of his field where all his men died had the best food. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, scientifically speaking, <laughs> yeah. I, I understand, but... Yeah. We're not... We didn't grind up people in yeah. our fields. We reburied them yeah. in national cemeteries. We are people who ha should have morals and ethics to live by. We should, like... Scientifically, yeah, sure, that's, like, the, the best move to make. Yep. But we're above that. And so I hold that if the farm is haunted, it is haunted probably, because you imbue it with that power. And if there is a lot of like, you know, negative energy, if you feel yeah. really bad that, that happened, it's going to attract stuff. Yeah. And if that's a Native American tribe where their belief is if the body, you know, needs to be properly buried, like the Navajo, for example, so they can go on to the afterlife. Mm -hmm. Well, now they're stuck in the physical yeah. world. Or Algonquin. Yeah. Which is what I'll get to later. So it's just, but can you imagine, like, and he was proud of it. Now, it was 1880s. Yeah. But the pride you would feel makes me sick. Mm-hmm. But wait, there's more. Oh, great. The former Kmart site in Mill Hall. We okay. have been there. I'm not sure if you have, but I've been there. In 1782, a brutal battle took place on the ground where Ollie's and Harbor Freight now operate, the former Kmart location. A group of Native Americans slaughtered about 20 of Commander Moses Van Campen's men. After the battle, Van Campen had a hole dug and the dead were buried right there at the spot. Hundreds of years later, Kmart came along in 1993 and built on that spot. Almost instantly, there were reports of toys turning on by themselves, objects moving and sightings of figures in historic clothing or Native American outfits, Bernard said. The burial mound would have been near where the former Kmart layaway counter was. Even though Kmart has gone and new businesses operate now, some said the bizarre events continue, mostly at night, knocking on doors, boxes thrown into the air, and sounds of rattling. Jeez. And it's not just Native Americans, then. They built on top of the mass grave that Van Campen had dug to put his slaughtered men. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a Native American burial ground. It's a, you know, a settler's American burial ground, because this is before, really, um, yeah. America, America proper. So... I could see... You know, another town that's, like, literally a couple miles away from... I could say I could see this Kmart. Lockhaven. Well, I just mentioned, that's Isaac Packer Farm, yeah. Yeah, but, like, Mill Hall is right there. Yep, so they're all close, yeah. I've been to this this area where they're talking about. I've never been out there. Oh, really? I, my mom, we used to go shopping. That's a, that's, that's a drive. Yeah. It's like an hour and a half. Listen, we've been places. Okay. You go places for Kmart, man. Blue light specials. <laughs> Anyway. Oh, wait. No. I have been out that way. It's Penn's Cave is right out there. Yeah. You're killing me, Smalls. Anyway, I could see <laughs> this place being haunted then because you're upsetting, you know, uh, these these white settlers as well. You know, mm -hmm. their bare ground, if you will. So, because I don't like the idea of digging up anybody's grave without, like, asking permission and having a game plan where to put them afterward. Yeah, right. So if you're going to big up my body, I might be a little upset in the afterlife. I don't know. I don't know. 
But again, as uh, as Ray always says, it mentions here in the Kmart that toys would turn on. Dude, 21st century technology. If there's some really cool stuff, I'd be playing with it too. What does this button do? (laughs) (laughs) I would be doing it. All right. So the last place I want to discuss. Last place. Okay. Is the Lake Shawnee Amusement Park. Now, this is not Pennsylvania. Okay. But it's close. It's in West Virginia. Oh, this... I want to say there was an episode of The Unexplained. Probably. That talked about yes, this. I most likely was. So, the Lake Shawnee Amusement Park was created. It was founded in 1926 in West Virginia. Okay. Um, and it was a very popular place to be because, you know, this is 1920s. So you can have some crazy, cool, fun things to ride that, you know, are not really safe by today's standards. <laughs> uh, anyway, so the first known European settlers on that plot of land were the Clay family in the 18th century. Uh, but in 1783, Three of the children were rumored to have been murdered by a Native American tribe. And the family later, of course, went to kill other Native Americans to get back at them. So there actually is a placard that hangs up um, down by where the farm used to be. And it says, Mitchell Clay. Here, Mitchell Clay settled in 1775. Eight years later, Indians killed two of his children and captured his son, Ezekiel. Pursuers killed several of the Indians, but the boy was taken to Ohio and burned at the stake. Oof, yeah. Um, so, you know, Native American war is going on, you know, the, mm-hmm. yeah, not a happy time. So in any case, after all that happened, the park then um, was built and it was it would generate a lot of um, suspicion in the interest of that Indian burial trope, you know, the Indian burial ground yeah. kind of idea, because the 1950s on that land, two children died tragically and violently during an accident in the park which is sad okay Mm -hmm. and the park was forced to close then in 1966 as well six people total are rumored to have died at the lake shawnee amusement park the park was later bought and reopened in 1980s uh during the development the remains of 13 native american bodies were found and most of them were children Mm. yes so the park closed shortly after reopening but now they actually hold guided tours of the allegedly haunted location because yeah. you can always make money off of haunted locations so it was on um scariest places on earth it was on most terrifying places in america most terrifying places portals to hell mm-hmm. okay yes um so there are stories though so i'm gonna flip my paper over here a little bit sorry for the sound uh from dailymail.com oh, so okay. yes uh by chris summers uh, so it actually has the entire background of this haunted park, if you will. So we know that Conley Sindo opened it in the 1920s. But again, six people, including two children, were killed there in a series of horrific af- accidents over the years. The archaeological dig in 1988 found the bodies of those American children, sadly. And then um, from there, there is a new loner, a new owner. His name is Gaylord White. And he claims to have seen a ghost of a girl in a bloody pink dress. And apparently this ghost has haunted the area continually. Now, the story of how she died, though. So I should mention the different ways people have died. Okay, so first off, um, when Lake Shawnee opened initially, it was it had, a, it had one of those really cool like swing sets that spins kind of like at our mm-hmm. carnival, but bigger. It had a Ferris wheel and it had the pond turned into an open air swimming pool. 
So a very small park, if you yeah, will. Because there are two drownings in it, right? At least. Well, there it goes. You've yeah. heard about this, yes. I have. This was on the unexplained. Yes. Uh, so over the years, six people died, but a little boy drowned while swimming. But the most horrific was this girl in the pink dress. Okay. She was swinging in the swing set and a truck reversed down the hill and hit her, killing her instantly. Mm. Yes. So that um, is where this man, Mr. White, said he has seen um, this girl. And he, he says, to quote, he said this um, on a, the Travel Channel's most terrifying places in America. So he said, sometimes the seat of the swing will start to move underneath your hand until you feel cold air blowing through the seat. And he said he saw the little girl. She looked at me. And as long as I looked at me and I looked at her, I couldn't move. Wow. Which is scary. But yeah, he said that she, her pink dress was just, is just covered in blood. So then, I mean, if she's in a pink dress, it's not a Native American, right? Yeah. But it's amazing how since it was a Native American burial ground, that's the reason why it has to be cursed. Yeah. Well, the series of unfortunate events that has hit that land, you, know, you can see why we're going to blame it on draw the, that conclusion. We're going to blame it on Native Americans. <laughs> yeah, sadly. <laughs> It's not that it's just a terrible place and they're maybe mad because you used a barrel ground the wrong way again. No, no. So no. tell me your stories. Okay. All right. So uh, I, I was looking up just some uh, creepy, like, Native American folklore. Love it. The and, internet uh, use research In has terms yielded. of burial ground, like, specifically related to burial. Love it. Uh now, again, this is just like, it was literally like five-minute internet research, so take it with a grain of salt. So there's the curse of the Anishinaabe burial grounds. Oh, I've heard, yeah, this actually popped up in my research. Okay, so according to Ojibwe legend, disturbing the resting place of their ancestors can bring about a curse. It is mm. believed that those who disrespect or desecrate Anishinaabe burial grounds will be haunted by the spirits of the departed. They may experience misfortune, illness, or encounter supernatural phenomena until the disturbance is rectified or the spirits appeased. There you go. Yeah. Interesting. That's one of many Native American tribes and indigenous peoples, just saying. Yeah. Um, they're the guardian spirits of the Iroquois. Mm -hmm. uh, the Iroquois people believe that, they're, if they're, that their burial grounds are guarded by protective spirits. These spirits are tasked with safeguarding the resting places of their ancestors. And those who venture near the burial grounds may encounter spectral figures, experience unexplained occurrences, or feel a strong sense of unease due to the watchful presence of their gaze. Okay, but not cursing you. No. You feel a little weird. You can feel a little haunted, I guess. Mm -hmm. Now, the Iroquois, that, it was, that was Hiawatha and stuff, too. So we're talking that's more New York. Yeah. That's not us. Now, this one has always been, like, fascinating to me. Not interesting. Interestingly enough. Interestingly not a, enough. Not a fun fact. <laughs> Interestingly enough, it's not a fun fact. Oh, no. Well, I mean, I, kind of, but it's the Wendigo. Oh, yeah. And the Algonquins. So in Algon... Now, this one I tried to research further, and I couldn't find anything other than this one source. But okay. uh, that in Algonquin folklore, the Wendigo is a malevolent spirit associated with cannibalism in winter. That mm -hmm. part's true. That part I know. Yeah. Uh, but this part, it's believed that disturbing Algonquin burial grounds can awaken the Wendigo spirit. Mm. And once awakened, it may seek to possess individuals, driving them to commit acts of cannibalism or unleashing chaos upon the community. Mm. I never heard anything about 
Maybe Wendigo. someone made that up on purpose so you would stop messing with Indian burial grounds. <laughs> yeah, right. A curse upon you, a curse upon your cow, and you know what? Cannibalism. <laughs> <laughs> Do not hurt Native American burial places. Yeah. <laughs> and oh. so then, um, so then I just looked up the Wendigo, particularly, mm-hmm. um, and how, uh, you know, like again, they are. They seem to be associated a lot with um, greed. Okay. And um, so stop stealing from our burial grounds. Yeah, and isolationism too. There's mm-hmm. like, don't isolate yourself, or you're gonna become a Wendigo. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of being exposed, like isolated, um, and alone, and in the cold, like those three things are like the ingredients to make a Wendigo. Mm-hmm. Because then, you know, it's this creature that lives alone in the mountains yeah. and it resorts to cannibalism to feed and things like that. If it's living by itself, how can it resort to cannibalism? Well, it comes down to like steal them on away. You. I was making a joke. <sighs> this is very heavy topics. It makes me sad. Yeah. So I have to make my humor. Oh, I understand. My dark humor. I understand. Uh, um, But yeah, and there are different different mythologies of like how yeah. to get rid of a wendigo how to kill it and things like that um watch supernatural for that oh there was a wendigo there episode, was, yeah. wasn't there? yeah i love so, supernatural it's fun there are no <laughs> yeah. stakes in that show <laughs> i know it's there are so no great. stakes i love it what else did you learn uh so that's about it in terms okay. of that kind of stuff there uh there are a couple other burial ground things like the the ghost dancers and the lakota oh, burial mm-hmm. grounds the ghost dance was a spiritual movement among na- various native american tribes including the lakota sioux uh the ghost dancers believed in the resurrection yeah, of the, the dead. ghost dancers are out west just you know yeah. so they're not the eastern not side. here the, near yeah. us yeah um, so they believe the resurrection of the dead and the return of their ancestors. Mm-hmm. It is said that some ghost dance rituals took place near Lakota burial grounds where participants would communicate with the spirits of their departed loved ones, invoking both a sense of reverence and eeriness. And lastly, the Cherokee, Cherokee sacred grounds. Aw, thank you for a shout out to my own family. So the Cherokee people have sacred burial grounds that are believed to be protected by powerful spirits. According to Cherokee folklore, these spirits may appear as animal guardians mm-hmm. like wolves or owls to ward off intruders. Yep. Yep. Because um, there is actually a quote from a Blackfoot warrior. He said, what is life? It is the flash of a firefly in the night. It is the breath of a buffalo in the wintertime. It is the little shadow which runs across the grass, loses itself in the sunset. And that was by Crowfoot. Um, so not Cherokee, but still the same idea that, you know, when you die, you become something else, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's very much in that kind of Cherokee belief system. Um, and that's why my, my grandmother, whenever she would talk about what is death, she would say, we don't know what death is. You know, we, we know that this mm-hmm. life ends, but we don't know if there is, you know, a, a, you come back. And are you going to come back as a human? Could you come back as something else? Yeah. And so like, or do you just go to heaven and hang out in heaven forever? You know, so reincarnation isn't maybe we don't know. Um, so I love all of this just because I think it's a good conversation for us to have and to mm-hmm. talk about. Yeah. Um, I think. 
if you do things wrong, you deserve to get haunted, you know? And and I think there has to be a conversation we have to start having where we use the right words, <laughs> you know? Because it's, it's easy to make something seem, you know, unhuman or subhuman. It's oh, yeah. easy to make it seem like it is in the past, even though people currently are alive, you know? And and to kind of like take a a page out of our out of Atticus Finch's belief system. You know, you never know somebody to walk around in their shoes. So put yourself in their place and think to yourself, would I like that? You know? Yeah. yeah. Considering we just recently uh, buried your mother, you know, a mm-hmm. wonderful woman. And if a pipeline went through that beautiful church parking lot and everything else, I'd be a little upset. Yeah. Not just for your mom, but for everyone else who's yeah, there. Absolutely. So there needs to be a conversation that has to happen. But this is not a platform for us to push our personal beliefs all the time. I think it's just good for us to say, be make good choices. Yeah, and just make people aware. You know, that's one of the great things about learning is to mm-hmm. become aware of other people's situations and well, I think like too, as I'm getting my PhD in ethics, like one of our biggest things is to think, you know, about it from the other side, look at multiple viewpoints. It's not just you. How's it going to affect everybody else? And that's why I think there has to be conversation. You know, if Do we need gas for certain things? Yes. So do we need pipelines? They're good. They're unnecessary. Absolutely. We need yeah. that. <laughs> we like our cars, but we need to have real honest conversations then and not, you know, circumvent things and get waivers and ignore people, yeah. you know, and not be, you know someone who decides to ground up an entire cemetery oh for fertilizer. Mm. So I want to end mm-hmm. with um, actually a poem written by my boy, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Ooh, okay. Okay. Um, because he's a New Englander just like me. All right. Yeah. He was from Portland, Maine, where he was born, raised. Um, and he was interesting. He was born, you know, at the beginning of the 1800s, but he sometimes wrote poetry or like, you know, wrote things and discussed things that were taboo for the time period. So he wrote a poem called The Indian Hunter. And it really was like a story of the land theft that had happened to hmm. Native Americans right. and just the general injustices toward the Native American people, um, which was completely surprising in the 1800s because again that's when they were grounding up you know and bragging about it and bragging about it yeah so this poem is called the indian hunter it's not as well known as his poem the hiawatha but again just beautiful and sad when the summer harvest was gathered in and the sheaf of the gleaner grew white and thin and the plowshare was in its furrow left where the stubble land had been lately cleft an Indian hunter with unstrung bow looked down where the valley lay stretched below. He was a stranger there, and all that day had been out on the hills a perilous way. But the foot of the deer was far and fleet, and the wolf kept aloof from the hunter's feet. And bitter feelings passed o'er him then, as he stood by the populous haunts of men. The winds of autumn came over the woods, as the sun stole out from their solitudes. The moss was white on the maple's trunk, and dead from its arms the pale vine shrunk, and ripened the mellow fruit hung and red, where the trees withered leaves round it shed. The foot of the reaper mowed slow on the lawn, and the sickle cut down the yellow core. The mower sung loud by the meadow side, where the mists of evening were spreading wide, and the voice of the herdsman came up the lee, and the dance went round by the greenwood tree. Then the hunter turned away from the scene, where the home of his fathers once had been, 
and heard by the distant and measured stroke that the woodsman hewed down the giant oak, and burning thoughts flashed over his mind, the white man's faith and love unkind. The moon of the harvest grew high and bright as her golden horn pierced the cloud of white. A footstep was heard in the rustling brake, where the beach overshadowed the misty lake, and a morning voice and a plunge from shore, and the hunter was seen on the hills no more. When years had passed on, by that still lakeside, the fisher looked down through the silver tide, and there on the smooth yellow sand displayed, a skeleton wasted and white was laid, and twas seen as the waters moved deep and slow, that the hand was still grasping a hunter's bow. <laughs>